Verse 35 says of Mark chapter 4, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There's incredible details within this account, within the book of Mark. And when you look at these details, you find out that Jesus was deeply committed to the faith of his disciples because Jesus saw the bigger picture. He knew that there was going to be a time when he was not going to be around. As a matter of fact, on a regular basis, he told them, that that time is going to come when he was to leave. He was going to send someone else, the Holy Spirit, not only to be with them, but for the Holy Spirit to be inside of them. But he was not going to be around. And as a result, he was doing all kinds of things within their midst to get them to trust in him. But he did things that required faith. Because it was very, very easy for them not to have faith when they were around him. And we can all understand that. It is almost the same when you have children. While they're in the home, they rely upon you. If they run out of pocket money, they're still in the home. If they run out of resource, they can walk into the kitchen, open up the cupboards, or the refrigerator, and they can take what they want to because they are with you. It doesn't require a whole lot of faith for this to happen. And Jesus knew that that is human nature. So as they were journeying with him, he allowed things to happen that would cause them to have faith in him. And so we see here that this is what happens within this incredible account within Mark. Now, it's very interesting that Mark gives more details about this account than what you find in Matthew and also in Luke. Luke, being a doctor, is very, very detailed. Matthew as well, being a tax collector, likes to count the money. But Mark was very different. When you read his writings in the book of Mark, he is not as detailed. But in this account, he is more detailed than the other two gospel writers. 
And it's probably because his mentor was Peter. And Peter was present in the storm with Jesus. And so he was recounting the story to Mark. And Peter also liked to talk. And so he went into detail. And we see here that Mark gathers information from Peter. And he writes to us about what's happening within their lives and what took place that day when the disciples discovered something incredible about Jesus that strengthened their faith. I want you to look back at some of the events that you've gone through that strengthened your faith. Just look back at some of the things that's happened. Well, I can just look back to this past week. Tuesday came into the church here and met with the people, but then walked out and went to buy something and came back. And within a process or a period of two hours, I lost my card wallet. Who of you have ever lost your wallet? Not a good feeling. And I think I must have had 10 or 12 cards in this wallet. And very, very important cards. And I looked after I discovered that I'd lost it. I think everybody here looked. I went to every single business in this vicinity and I asked them. And hopefully they looked and it was still lost. And eventually I had to cancel all of my cards. And um, that's not a great experience. That's a little bit of a challenge. But this challenge was there and still is there to strengthen my faith. But Lord, my faith is strong enough. I don't need that. Jesus looks down and he says, no, you do. Now, it is true that some of the situations that we do face is simply because we make bad decisions. Sometimes we sin and we face the consequences of those decisions. But this account that we find here is different. This is a situation that Jesus led his disciples into purposefully. And a number of the trials and the difficulties that you and I face is what Jesus actually leads us into because it is designed to strengthen our faith. It is designed to cause our faith to become more mature. It is designed for our faith to become developed. And I think many of us are in a place where our faith has not developed to the place where it needs to be. And Jesus will use trial of this type to develop our faith. So Jesus was in control of the storm He, together with his disciples, went into the storm. And I use the word, together with his disciples, went into the storm. And we find the context here. And the purpose was, Jesus said to them, and I want you to listen to this phrase, because it is crucial to understand how our faith develops and how our faith grows. Because when we have a challenge, we actually need to go back to the words that God spoke to us within our hearts. And so we see here 
in verse 35 that the scripture says that that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now the storm broke out. And the storm broke out suddenly. If you understand the geography of um, where all this took place, you'll understand that storms normally happened during the day. The cold air came from the mountains and it connected with the warm air in the lakes. And particularly within this context, the Sea of Galilee, violent storms broke out. And things became very unstable. And so the disciples knew that that normally happened during the day. But what did Jesus do? He chose the evening time, the night time, for them to go out. Because in the minds of the disciples, the water was going to be okay. It's very, very interesting that the disciples were fishermen. Jesus was a carpenter and they committed their lives as fishermen on the sea to a carpenter who had no experience about sailing. But they followed Jesus and everything was supposed to be fine. My friends, when Jesus leads us into something, you can expect a suddenly to take place. In the story, they encountered this violent storm that took place. And when they encountered this violent storm, they were looking for Jesus. Where was Jesus to be found? He wasn't. They called out to him, he didn't answer. He was in the stern of the boat, sleeping peacefully on a pillow. They ran to Jesus. But I want you to picture the scene. Now, they said, where is Jesus? And one of them said, I think Jesus is sleeping. How could he be sleeping in the midst of such a storm? The Bible tells us that so much water had already flowed into the boat that they were in danger of sinking. And so they say, hey, we've got to find Jesus. He'll do something. After all, he's a carpenter. And so amongst them, they said, who's going to wake up Jesus? Now, I remember as a young boy that my dad, when he came home from work, he would go and sleep. And just before dinner, either my sister, myself, or my mom had to go and wake him up. And my dad slept so deeply that if you woke him up, his pillow went everywhere. And so we kind of cast lots every time who was going to wake up my dad. Yet this is the type of scene that I picture that day on the boat, that they would say, no, you go and you go and wake up Jesus. No, 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 not me. No, you go and wake up. No, 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 not me. So one of them eventually went down and said, Jesus, could you wake up? Jesus, could you wake up? As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us here that um, the one who woke him up was terrified. He says, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? 
There was panic within his voice. But I think he said something like this. Hey, Jesus, um, they sent me to come and wake you up. <laughs> but the fact is this, that they found themselves in a place that was really uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they were terrified. When lost, were you in a position where you were terrified? I don't find myself in many positions like that. I find myself often in positions where I'm anxious, absolutely. But I remember one occasion when I was terrified. We had just moved here. As a matter of fact, we had been here for about two years. And our 19-year-old son had just gone to Barcelona to go and study. And he came back for the Easter weekend. And that night, on a Saturday night, Chris had a stroke. He had actually three strokes. He was 19 years old. And I remember how terrified I was. It was just one of those times where you just, as a parent, say, Lord, what's happening here? And you know, what we like to do is when we get into those situations, we like to blame someone else for it. Have you ever done that? You're terrified and you blame someone else. It could even be God. And I remember as Chris was in the hospital for a month and God brought him through and he's a chiropractor today, spoke to him last night, he's doing so, so well. Passed his exams, you know, um, after five years graduated, he's in London now, um, just really thriving. But I remember that I actually went to God and I just said to him, God, you brought us to Switzerland. And now is this what happens? I was projecting blame. I said, God, this is your problem. You led us into the storm. Now you've got to take care of it. Do you not care? That was the cry of my heart. I may not have said it verbally, but that is what I was thinking, and that is what I was feeling. And I remember getting the x-rays from the doctor, and he was in the hospital the first two weeks. They weren't sure what had caused it, and I still remember with Chris there came a pivotal time when they couldn't find out what the cause was and they had to, the next step was for them to drill into the brain and then to subtract some fluids to find out what actually was causing this because they just couldn't figure it out. And we just said to the doctors, you're not going to do that. And we prayed and I remember the x-rays that we got. I put it upon Chris's bed in his room that we had uh, here in Hagendorn. And every opportunity I got, I put his x-rays on the bed, I knelt before the bed, and I placed my hands on those x-rays, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. I went to a God, even though my thought says, do you not care? My heart told me that he does care. And of course, more than that, the Bible says, he does care. How many of you know that when we are shaky in our faith, we need to go to the unshakable Word of God? We went to the Word of God and we read it and read it and read it and we prayed. It was one of the biggest storms we had faced that Jesus took us into.
What is the storm that you are facing today? What is the situation that you feel that Jesus is just not caring about? My friends, it is at that place where, as it were, you could wake Jesus up. And you could have that conversation with him. My friends, we have three pictures here as Jesus took them over to the other side. The third is obviously the picture of an enormous storm that took place. As a matter of fact, the Greek word that speaks about the storm and describe it is the Greek word mega. And um, it is very, very interesting that the movie was made of a massive big shark caught. Anybody saw the movie? The, the mega? Exactly. And mega means pretty big. And this storm was a mega, mega storm. And so we see this picture that they were led into this mega storm. It is something that happened unexpectedly for them. But Jesus had it all planned. My friends, Jesus is in control of the mega storm that you find within your lives at the moment. The second picture that we see here is as they woke Jesus up and they, uh, they saw that he was fast asleep. The Bible says here, Jesus was in the stern, stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Here we see a picture of Jesus in absolute control. So much so that he went to sleep on a pillow. I want you to see this picture. My friends, oftentimes when everything is raging around us, we're in the storm. We need to see the picture of a God who is in total control. He was in such control that he actually went to sleep. For me, it's kind of like unfair. God, how can you do that to us? Well, you see, God is fully in control. The third picture that we see here is the picture of fear of the disciples. In Mark 4.40 it says, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you know what word he uses there to describe fear? He uses the word mega. Why do you have mega fear? Enormous fear. Why do you have such great fear within your heart? Do you still have no faith. We see three rebukes within the story. The first rebuke we see comes from the disciples as they rebuke Jesus. How about that? Have you ever done that? How about the created rebuking the creator? <laughs> it sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But I think oftentimes 
when we come to God, we say, God, this is what I want, and you're giving me something else. It's almost like in a form of a rebuke. The servant questioning the master. The second rebuke comes in the form of a command. Jesus, this time, rebukes the waves. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. My friends, the power of the word of God when he speaks. When he speaks, things happen. That happened in the book of Genesis. He spoke the world in existence. There is such power within his word. My friends, there is such power in his word. Such power. As I go through certain anxieties within my life, when I'm a little bit uh, um, unsure about things, when, when I'm shaken, my friends, I go to the Word of God, who is the living Word of God within my life. And when His Word speaks, it's alive. The Hebrew writer says, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the divining and thunder of the soul and spirit and discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That is how powerful the Word of God is. So when we read the Word of God, these are all of the things that are actually happening. My friends, when we are in the very midst of a storm, listen for the Word of God. He comes. And he rebukes the waves. He got up, rebuked the wind and said, quiet, be still. The wind down and it was completely calm. Do you know what the word completely, the descriptive word for calm means here? It's the same Greek word. It was mega calm. <laughs> All right, cool. It was mega calm. My friends, when God speaks into our hearts, he can put a mega calm within our hearts because his words are living and it is so powerful. The third rebuke comes in the form of another question in Mark chapter 4 verse 14. Jesus said to his disciples, why are you still so mega afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I must be honest with you, when I read this, if Jesus was standing here and I could have a conversation with him, I would say to him, Jesus, you're, don't you think you're being a little bit unfair? You lead them into a storm, and the boat is about to sink, and you are saying to them, why are you still so afraid? Do you have no faith? So, within my mind, I would like to have a conversation with Jesus about that. But of course, I know that he would have a better answer every single time. But we see the rebuke comes and he rebukes his disciples. The reason why is he's been teaching them about faith in the preceding chapters. And also, when you look at the chapters to follow, all of these lessons that he was teaching was to increase their faith and their faith to be developed. My friends, why? Was Jesus so strong with the disciples there? And saying to them, why are you afraid? 
do you have no faith? I'll tell you why. Because right in the beginning of the account, Jesus said to them what? He said, let us go over to the other side. Jesus said to them he was going to take them to the other side. It was in the form of a promise. I'm going to take you to the other side. My friends, and it's very similar to us. We get bent all out of shape when we're in the storm in the midst of it. And Jesus is saying, but why are you afraid? Why do you have such little faith? He says, didn't I tell you that I was going to take you to the other side? Do you think I am going to say something to you and go back on my word? Can you not trust my word? Is my word not reliable? My friends, that's why Jesus was so stern with them. Because they doubted his word. Have you ever been in a situation where someone doubts your word or your intentions? Jesus clearly had made his intentions known to them. That he was taking them to the other side. He was taking them on this journey and he was not going to let them drown. My friends, whatever you are facing today, Jesus is not going to leave you in the midst of the storm to be drowned. The word of God to you today is, let us go to the other side, irrespective of what's happening right in the middle of it. He's committed to seeing the journey through with you. I love the wonderful promises of God. The one where Paul says that the work that he started, he will complete. That's the word of God to you and I. He's not going to leave us. This huge trial that we had gone through. Constantly when we were praying, we were saying, God, you had sent us to Switzerland. The three of us. Our oldest son was somewhere else, but the three of us, you sent us to Switzerland. Your plans are good for Chris and good for us. And Jesus took us and Chris to the other side in this context. And now Chris speaks about that experience in such a positive way. My friends, where you find yourselves today, don't give up on God. I'll tell you why. As you go through this enormous test and trial within your life, you will find out who God really is. I want you to look at the last few verses here as I close. Verse 40 says, He said to his disciples, Why are you still afraid? Do you not have faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. My friends, where we start to ask that question, who is he? 
That is when our faith starts to grow and our faith starts to develop. Every single test and trial that we go through is designed, yes, to strengthen our faith, but more importantly, for us to know who He is. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 17 tells us who He is. Now it's very interesting. In the book of Mark, Mark writes about Jesus and he tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's his major theme in the book of Mark, is the sonship of Jesus Christ. So when the disciples said, who are you? The answer is, he is the Son of the living God. Proclaims him as God here. And so this is what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. The scripture says the Son is the image of the invisible God. That's who he is. Who is he? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Who is he? He is sovereign over the winds. He's sovereign over the waves. They had never seen him in this role. They had seen him perform other miracles. But for the first time, they had seen him as the one who is sovereign over creation. And when they saw it, they were terrified because they knew that they were standing in the midst of the creator. That was their first encounter with him as the creator. My friends, when you and I encounter him as the creator, there is a terrifying result within us where we glorify him as they did here. He's the firstborn over all creation. Listen, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And listen, and in him, all things hold together. This is who he is. 